this podcast from Jubilee Church Derby, a church family looking to make a difference across the city of Derby and beyond. This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Okay, so if you've got your Bible with you, if you'd like to turn, please, to Acts chapter 5. Way back in the distant mist of time, somewhere before the summer holiday, can you remember back that far, we started a series in the book of Acts. And uh, in the summer period, we had our summer Sundays, and we had some summer psalms to go with summer Sundays. A little bit of a mini-series in the summer, but now we're back into the book of Acts. So I'm sure you will remember well uh, the first few messages we had of early chapters. Uh, If you missed them, they're available to download on the website. You can get hold of them. But now we come to Acts chapter 5. So if you'd like to turn, please, with me to Acts chapter 5, we'll read some Uh, scripture together and pray and then ask the Lord what he has for us from it so if you've found turned scrolled clicked or recalled from memory Acts chapter 5 then off we go now a man named Ananias together with his wife Sapphira also sold a piece of property with his wife's full knowledge he kept back part of the money for himself, but bought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. One of the blessings and challenges of preaching through a book of the Bible is that you don't get the luxury of skipping the bits you would rather miss. Because we've had a fun time in Acts chapter 1, 2 and 3 and 4 and now we get to Acts chapter 5. And I guess if I was just to preach, you know, my favourite bits, probably Acts chapter 5 wouldn't be very high on the list, if indeed it was there at all. But we're told clearly that all of Scripture is God-breathed. 
and useful for teaching, rebuking and training for righteousness. So we can't just skip the bits we think, that's a bit strange, don't understand what's going on there. Actually, the right thing to do is to dig in and to ask God, what is he saying to us? So at first reading, this seems a bit of a strange passage, isn't it? You think, what's going on? Why would God so judge this couple? What, what was happening? Why on earth did God feel it necessary to judge them both to such an extent they both died? Is that really the actions of a loving God, you might ask? Well, first, let's remember, we're not coming to this passage to judge God ourselves. We're not sitting in judgment on what we read here, or what's been recorded for us, or indeed what God chose to do. That would be very unwise, and I would suggest a potentially dangerous course of action. We're coming to this passage and saying humbly before the Lord, God, what is it you've got for us? What do you want to teach us? What are we to learn from this? This is not just an account of history, but God wants to teach us something. So we come to the passage saying, God, what is it you have for us this morning? We've often talked, haven't we, about building a church like that, that, that the early church. Now let's build that sort of community of people. That's what I feel God's spoken to us about, to build that sort of vibrant community of faith that's advancing and seeing the gospel go forth and the kingdom of God advance, and people saved and added and uh, miracles and transformation in society. All these sort of things you want to see and pray for and ask God for, and that's happening in the early church. And you know what? So is this. So we don't have the luxury of saying, oh, that bit's surely not for us. All right. We see here that the early church was not perfect. It had lots of good things going on, but it was not perfect. No church is the perfect church. And this one wasn't one either. Churches have fallen sinful people in them. I saw a tweet this morning. I think it was from Sam Aubrey. He said this. The only perfect church is the heavenly assembly. And this does not meet at 10.30am each Sunday, a short drive from your house. So until you're called to join a throng around God's throne, you're called to belong to a church in which others will get things wrong, and so will you. So, actually, there's no perfect church this side of heaven. Every church has fallen, sinful people in it. Redeemed by grace, yes, but people and human beings, nevertheless. And so we find ourselves this morning in Acts chapter 5, reading of the unfortunate or actually even sinful actions of this couple Ananias and Sapphira. And I guess if you wanted to be recorded for all eternity in God's word about what you did, you wouldn't choose to be recorded for these sort of actions, would you? But these actions are recorded for us 
And God has something, I believe, for us this morning. So let's pray and ask God for wisdom and ask him for humble hearts that are open to him and see what he has for us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your goodness to us, for your presence and your love. And we pray now that as we consider uh, this passage of Scripture here in the book of Acts, that Holy Spirit, would you please now come and be our teacher. Give us, Lord, humble hearts that want to hear from heaven, to understand and to be obedient to you that you might be glorified in our lives, in this church, and in the nations. We ask it, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, I know that you are all good Bible scholars. So you will know that the first thing you need to do is look at context. What's going on here? What's actually happening? Because the verse 1 of chapter 5 says, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. So that should immediately point us back to the previous chapter and say, What's going on here? What's happening? Clearly they were doing something also, or as well. So what is it that is happening? Well, if we go back to the end of chapter 4, verse 32 tells us, it says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Wow. It's amazing, isn't it? It says this. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had needs. So that makes sense, doesn't it? Now we see Ananias and Sapphira also sold a piece of property. So they're in on it as well. What's going on there? Now it starts to make sense. There is a sharing of resources here. As anyone who had need, those who had the ability to meet that need or be part of that, met it. Sold property, land, brought the money to the apostles, put it at their feet, means gave it to the church. And it was distributed to those who had need amongst them. That's how they could say there were no needy persons among them. It wasn't that there was a bunch of wealthy people and there were no needs among them because they were also rich. That's not the case at all. The case is that they were one in heart and mind and they shared everything they had. That's why it was like that. Actually, as an aside, do you notice verse 36 says this, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. The first time reading this guy called Joseph, or as we know him for the rest of scripture, Barnabas. So you read a bit later about Paul and Barnabas and their missionary travels. This is where we read about him. Where he sort of pops up and we say, ah, Barnabas. He was also in on this. And we're told that he sold a field he owned and brought the money. So, so far, so good. The early churches are one in heart and mind. There's 
uh, as the people see needs, those who have resources, land, property, so on, selling it, bring the money to the church, is distributed to those who require it. All good so far. Everyone happy? All seems to be going well. Then we get to chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira also have some property. It's fine. And they sell it. Again, so far, so good. However, rather than give all the money that they make from the sale of their land, they decide to keep some of it back for themselves. Now, let's be clear. In and of itself, that's not necessarily a problem. The property was theirs. They sold it. They could have given a proportion of the money and kept some of the money. No problem. But that wasn't what happened. Rather, we can see here that they sold what they had and then gave the impression that they'd given all of it. That they were somehow better than they were. That they were more generous than they actually turned out to be. And this was not good. It was this action that was deceitful, deceptive, and ultimately led to their death. Verse 2 of Acts 5 doesn't tell us exactly what Ananias said, but verse 8 does shed some light on it. Because Peter in verse 8 says, Tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's, that's the price. Clearly stating they've given it all. But she, she's lying. And so the implication we read here is that Ananias said a similar thing earlier on. To sell the land and to give a proportion of it and keep a proportion of it wouldn't have been a problem if they'd been transparent about it. But they weren't. They tried to deceive the church and ultimately tried to deceive God himself. And of course we know that's not possible. God knew what was going on. God always knows what's going on. And more than seeing and observing the outward of what's going on, God knows what's going on on the inside. Because God can see your heart. So not only does he see, oh, they sold it for this, and they gave some of it and said it was everything, he can see that, but more than that, he can see through that into their hearts. So God judged them for this and ultimately they paid with their lives. So why did God judge them in this way? So our reading of the text, it can seem like quite a hard punishment, can't it? Think, oh, that seems, that seems tough. Why did God punish them by death? What's, what's going on here? Well, you see, the purity and the holiness of the church is something that's important to God. The purity and the holiness of the church is something that's important to God. Far more than we often realise. And it's passages like this that should stop us in our tracks and realise how God sees things. And it's not like it's new information in Acts 5. Actually, you can look in a variety of places in Scripture and see that God cares about the purity of his people. 
So Leviticus 11, right way back at the beginning of Scripture, Leviticus 11, 45. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy, because I am holy. Paul in Ephesians 5, verse 3. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Then Peter, in 1 Peter 1, verse 16, in his letter, he again quotes the Leviticus 11 passage. So that for it is written, he says, Be holy, because I am holy. So actually, it seems that throughout Scripture, this subject of holiness and purity is in fact important to the Lord. Now, we need to remember that we have an enemy who is against the church, who is against God's people. Satan is not just mildly opposed to what God is doing, not just mildly you know, against the, the church and, and what God wants to do. No, no, he is actively working to bring down and to destroy God's church, God's people. You need to understand that. And Phil Moore, in his commentary on Acts, lists the... Uh, four, uh, the first four methods that Satan uses in the earlier parts of Acts. He talks about persecution, you know, threats and beatings and violence and so on. He talks about division that can come in amongst the church, distraction from their core purpose. Then in Acts 8, we, we see a scattering after Stephen's murder. But there's another method that Satan uses to Try, try and destroy the church, not from the outside, but from the inside. And Ananias and Sapphira may have been oblivious to that, but looking back, we can see what's going on. Satan is using lying, hypocrisy and deceit to try and destroy the church from the inside out. Other methods are from the outside in. This one is trying to work in people's heart to destroy it. From the inside. Fillmore goes on and says this. He says, if you're a church leader, you need to recognize the Christian tendency to judge sin too harshly in unbelievers and too leniently in believers. Whoa, that should punch us and get our attention. Too often we can tolerate things, we tolerate sin. The truth is that God doesn't. Yes, he forgives because he's merciful and forgiving and gracious. But he doesn't tolerate. He's holy and wants his church to be holy as well. So this applies to us personally. It applies to us corporately together. So God has made us holy in Christ Jesus. There's some good news there, isn't there? God has made us holy and righteous in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen? So there is some good news there to be pleased about. And when you put your trust in Jesus, in him, and what he's done, God takes the righteousness of Jesus and gives it to you. Older translations of the Bible would say, he imputes it to you. God gives you the righteousness that is Jesus' righteousness and puts it into you. And then when God looks at you, 
He doesn't just see you. He sees the righteousness and the purity of Jesus. Like, wow. But let's be clear. You didn't earn that. It's a gift. A gift by God's grace. God is a holy God. Loving, forgiving, gracious, yes. But also holy. So God makes us holy in Christ Jesus when we first trust him. What we need to then do is to continue to walk in the good of that. To continue to walk in that holiness. To live in the goodness of what God has done for us and what he's provided us with. Now, if we're not careful, we can slip into legalism here. That's, that's what I mean by that is trying to earn your own salvation by something you do rather than receiving it as a gift by something that Jesus has done. Let's be careful not to do that. The New Testament had lots to say about legalism. So you don't become holy by keep on saying, oh, must be holy, must be holy, try to sin, try to sin, must be holy, must work harder. That's not how it works. It doesn't work anyway. It doesn't help, it doesn't work. No, no, you become more holy, more like Jesus, by looking at him. By saying, Lord, I want to be more like you. Not looking at what you don't want to be like, but gazing upon him. I think I mentioned the verse earlier. Looking at Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. As you look to Jesus... As you gaze upon him, as you take your eyes off yourself and look at him, then you find yourself becoming more holy and more like Jesus. And it's in those moments that the attractiveness of sin, that which will pull you away from God, begins to fall away. Almost without you realising it, almost as a byproduct, oh, I'm more like Jesus. Look at his beauty, his glory, his majesty, his holiness. Oh, yeah, these other things that were troubling have fallen away. But as well as personal holiness, God's interested in our corporate holiness together. And what this passage is teaching us is fundamentally about the holiness of God's church, his people, his bride. See, clearly this is a big deal to God. It's so a question, if it's a big deal to God, how often do we talk about it? Probably the answer is not enough. We've already considered the passages in Leviticus and Ephesians. These are written to the community of faith. The Leviticus passage, yes, to the Old Testament people of God. But the Ephesians passage to the uh, God's church in, in Ephesus there. And there are corporate instructions, corporate expectations Ephesians 5 verse 3 once again. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Not even a hint. And if we wanted to do a longer study on holiness I'm sure we would end up in 1 Peter. Because Peter in his first letter speaks to individuals about holiness and then goes straight on to talk about holiness in the church. It says this, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen 
people. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So in essence, Peter is saying, listen, you are a chosen, precious, holy people. So live like it. In Acts 5, the early church is being taught by God about obedience, honesty, transparency, and holiness. The church is Jesus' bride, God's treasured possession. The church is so precious to God. We often take the church so lightly, too quickly can speak badly about her. But listen, God loves his church. It's not perfect, but God loves his church. And so the early church needed to know they couldn't just play around. That this was something that was important to God and they needed to take seriously. So, if that's what was going on, what are the implications for us? What do we need to know out of this passage? What should we learn? What is God saying to us this morning? What, if you like, is our takeaway? Well, number one, don't try to deceive God. Don't try to deceive God. I mean, let's be honest, you can't anyway. It won't work. He knows what's going on. As we said earlier, he doesn't just see our actions, he sees our hearts. He can see your motivation. He can see why you're doing something. That can be good. God sees everything. So don't try to deceive God. Too many of us have tried. I'm sure all of us have tried in moments in our lives, but the reality is we cannot do it. And the sooner we realise that, the better. We can't deceive him. It's crazy to think that we can. And God will not be mocked. So don't try and hide from him or deceive him. Because you know what, friends? He knows anyway. And the good news is, he knows anyway and he still loves us. He can see our motivations, our hearts. He can see what's going on on the inside. And yet he still chooses to love and to pour grace out and to forgive time and time again. Now listen, let's not take it lightly. This is important to God. So don't try to deceive him, number one. Number one, don't try to deceive God. Number two, don't try to deceive God's church. 
Don't try to deceive him. Don't try to deceive the church. Please. Ananias and Sapphira thought they could get away with it. And we see how God judged them for it. Let's be clear. I do not want that happening on a Sunday morning here. I would rather it didn't. It is not the ideal sort of promotional activity of the church. What happened this morning? Well, a couple of people lied to God and he, he judged them and they died. No wonder we're told in Acts 5, verse 11, great fear seized the whole church. You don't say. <laughs> They're just seeing God judge two of their friends. These undoubtedly were people that were known. They had friends in the church. They came one morning thinking, Hi, Ananias. Hi, Sapphira. Nice to see you. Chat, chat, chat. And before you know it, they're carried out. Both of them. Don't try to deceive God's church. I don't want that happening around here, and I'm sure you don't either. I'm sure all of us want God to look at Jubilee and be pleased with what he sees. Now, I know we're not perfect. If you're visiting us this morning, let me tell you right up front, Jubilee is not a perfect church. I can tell you that. I know that. We all know that. We're all in it. <laughs> we are not perfect people. I know that there are things that we need to work on, we need to improve on. I know that God is working some stuff in our hearts and is at work amongst us. I know that God has called us to advance his kingdom in this city and beyond. And we want together to be part of that, don't we? But listen, friends, let's do it in a way that honours God. Let's not try and cut corners. Let's not try and get away with what might be an easier option. Please, don't deceive God, because you can't. But listen, don't try and deceive his church. This is too important. Too important to him. Number three, be holy. The good news is, God has made you holy. What we need to do is live in the good of that and live it out. Number four, be honest and transparent in your relationships. Ananias and Sapphira were not honest in their relationships and their dealing with the church. They tried to cover up, to deceive, to look better than they were. If we're going to build relationships of integrity and genuineness, then what we need to have amongst us is honest and transparent relationships. Where we're not trying to prove anything, not trying to be anybody, there isn't any pretense, but rather we're just being ourselves on the journey that God has called us to and helping one another along the way. God sees our heart, doesn't he? He sees what's going on on the inside. 
actually, as we're honest and transparent with one another, as we build those sort of, uh, those sort of relationships with one another, that's actually encouraging, isn't it? It's encouraging to all of us. And friends, you want those sort of relationships to be at the heart of who we are in the church. I guess one of the places for that is life groups, isn't it? You know, where you're where you're seeking to build those sort of genuine um, relationships, and get honest with one another. You know, we've all been there, haven't we? You know, somebody says, "Oh, how are you doing?" Too quickly, the answer, the automatic answer is, "Oh, I'm fine, thank you." But do we ever go under the surface and find out what's going on? Do we ever challenge one another when we see that's necessary? Do we ever say to one another, "I, I you know, I just need to, to speak something to you." You know, I've told you before, I, I know. I remember some years ago I said to a, a trusted friend of mine, I want to be accountable to you, I want to be transparent, I want you to speak into my life. I thought it was great, sounded all good. And so a few weeks later he said to me, Graham, there's something we need to talk about. I thought, oh, really? Well, I've given him permission already, so it was game over, really. <laughs> but listen, I'm so grateful that he had the courage to say, Listen up, I think there's something we need to talk about. But are we building those sort of relationships with one another? Finally, number five, love the church. Love the church. Jesus does. Jesus really loves the church. He died for her, gave his life for her. And you know what? is coming back for her as well. Jesus really loves the church. Do we? Do I? Do you? Do we have that sort of love for God's church? I don't pretend it's an easy passage in Acts 5. I'd prefer to preach on something else. I'd rather give it away and said, um, Rupert, here's one for you to, uh, to preach on. Or to that team or one of the others is like, hey, why don't you preach on this? I knew I couldn't get away with that. But God wants us to see, friends, that he loves the church. So much so, so important is the holiness of his bride that this occurrence of what happened with Ananias and Sapphira, difficult though it may be, is recorded for us to understand and to learn from. And to say, God, help us to have such a heart for you and your bride, the church, that we seek to be a holy people, seek to be that treasured possession that scripture talks about. That we are who God says we are. That we act in a way that is true to who he has made us to be. Amen? Amen. Can we stand together? I'm going to pray. I'll have the band to come back up, please, if we can finish with a song of worship in a moment. As they come back up, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you that all of Scripture is God-breathed 
and is useful for training and rebuking, teaching us, helping us to become more like you. And so, Lord, we give you what we've read and looked at this morning and say, Lord Jesus, help us to see the church as you do. We pray, God, that we would have the same heart for the holiness and purity of your body, the church, that you do. And Lord, would we take these things seriously? Would we not try to deceive you or one another? Lord, would we be holy because that's who you've called us to be, a holy people? Would we have relationships that are honest and transparent? And Lord, would you put in us such a love for the church? The sort of passionate love that you have, so much that you died for that. So Lord, do something in us, please. Help us to live in those sort of ways in order that you might be glorified. Lord, we read that great fear seized the early church, but also there was great gospel advance. And we pray for that in our day and our time. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship together as we close. Thanks, God.